Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert. I am here with our illustrious co-host, Aaron Mercer. Hello. All right, illustrious. We'll take it. And we have the uh, Josh Allen of producers, who is Colin Raymond for his rookie year. So we're glad to have him. Uh, Aaron, today we are interviewing uh, Jen Pollock-Michelle, who uh, is the author of a number of books, uh, including uh, Lord Teach Us to Want and a Habit Called Faith. But the question we're asking her today is, why does time management make us time anxious? Yeah, I'm excited about this uh, this conversation. I think it's going to be going to be good. It's obviously, it's something that many of us are often thinking about um, time and not having enough time and why do we feel that way. So anyhow, I'm I'm very much uh, looking forward to this and looking forward uh, to the insights here. And um, yeah, we're just so glad to, we're so glad to have you on the podcast. I <laughs> would love to, uh, I don't know, I wonder, you know, would you mind, uh, Jen, just kind of giving us you know quick introduction to, to you and how you well, first of all, how you got into writing all these great books and also maybe, you know, why time is on your mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. Time is on my mind because, um, I mean, it's long been on my mind just because I have five kids. I have, you know, I knew, I knew you were going to say that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how can you not think about time when you have five kids and, <laughs> you know, you want to do something other than just laundry and dinner, which are wonderful things. But, you know, in order to make any time to write books, um, it's obviously been like it's I would actually even almost call it an obsession. You know, I've been reading time management books forever. Um, I was raised in a Christian home, thankful for that. I would say that I really started following Jesus when I was 16. And I can remember, honestly, my first time management book that I read in college, I stole it from my roommate's shelf. And even though I guess it wasn't, I guess it wasn't exactly a time management book, but it was definitely one of those books. It was a Christian discipleship book about like how to just organize your life, you know, how to, and part of that was organizing your calendar, you know, and that made a lot of sense to me. It made a lot of sense to me to think that time was just one of those resources that I needed to steward well. Um, and so that sort of catapulted me into like decades long um, interest in reading time management books. I can remember when I was a young mom and I had a friend who introduced me to David Allen, getting things done. Most people who are like time management people know all about David Allen and and even in beginning of the pandemic, I started rereading all of those, you know, kind wow. of thinking like, I, I got to get a better handle on time. So yeah, it's just been a long interest for me. Oh, I, I was going to say it must be uh, a, a good interest and also something you've definitely implemented well, because I mean, I have three kids, so I can imagine with five, how you even get to, to, <laughs> to read about it over again, and, and then also making sure you have the time to write about it. So I'm impressed already. I mean, this can only, this is going to only go uphill from here. This is great. Well, Jenna, I, Jenna, based on what Aaron said, I want to have a little fun with you. So we we interviewed Ashley Hales, who wrote the book, A Spacious Life. And when when I talked with Ashley, it was like, have a Sabbath, like have margin. And then when you and I talked, I was like, oh, yeah, Jen is like, because you're like, you know, we got to figure out this time hack. And I say that because you're both great friends. And I guess, you know, we have some people here that they they might be type B, a little bit more relaxed when it comes to time. And then there's some of us that kind of live on, you know, adrenaline. I love days that are packed with meetings, moving back to back. 
So I guess as you kind of come at this as a little bit more type A, what are the biggest problems that you see with someone that's type A that wants to get a lot of stuff done that um, maybe is kind of the opposite of Ashley? I mean, I think the biggest thing is that productivity kind of becomes your standard for a good day. Like how, how do you know your day was good? It was good because you got a lot of things done because you got through that list, you checked everything off and, um, you know, that is, that is a really, well, first of all, you can get things done and you can get them done in a lot of wrong ways. You know, you can be super irritable getting through your to-do list. You can be really angry. You can be really resentful. So just getting through your to-do list doesn't really actually say anything about the state of your heart, you know, which seems to be something that God is intensely preoccupied with, you know, what's the state of our heart as we do things, you know, we could be getting things done very anxiously, very frenetically. We could actually just be doing a lot of things sort of halfway too, you know, just in order to get things done. And so I think that for me was almost one of the biggest learning curves of the book was just reassessing this whole criterion of productivity. Like, mm. does, is this, does this even make sense of what the Christian life is about? And really, when you look at the history of productivity, you see that it's pretty recent, you know, I mean, it's pretty much as recent as, I mean, we could probably say it's as recent as the clock, but I would say even that's, that's not, that's, I mean, people would say that's very old, but it hasn't been with us forever, you know, maybe 13th. 14th century. But really, honestly, I think productivity is more a product of the Industrial Revolution, where we start to think about machines and what they can produce. And then we start to think of we start to measure human output by those same standards, you know, how fast, how efficiently can can humans work. And I think that's where we really get into a lot of trouble. Huh. Well, that's that's really interesting. Um, no, I, I, I love the the talk about the um you know clocks and the industrial revolution i mean i think that's really fascinating to think about i wanted to dive into that more um i am curious like even starting off this this conversation and maybe where you uh have come from when you when you started uh re researching this even way back when you took your your roommate's book in college um but uh, certainly since you've been writing um from a foundational, uh, fundamental, you know, at the very beginning, do you view time as it's a as a? Do you take it as a scarce resource? Like, is it? Um, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is, I think mm. people probably have different views of time. Um, you're definitely talking about yeah. being productive with time, which makes me think, okay, time is limited. You know, can you dig into that a little bit more? And 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 maybe do, do you have you found that other people feel similarly? And you know, what's the pluses and minuses of, of both of those things? Mm -hmm. It's a really good question because we haven't always viewed time the same way. I mean, I would probably say that none of us escapes thinking about time as instrument. You know, time is something that you can sort of measure and then meet out, you know, to according to your goals and to your ambitions. I mean, this is just honestly just a product of having a clock. You know, imagine like before you even had a clock and you could measure hours and minutes and seconds. And now you can measure like zeptoseconds, I think is a really small unit of time that we can now measure. Um, <clears throat> you maybe didn't have as much anxiety 
about what you were supposed to do with all those units of time. Right. You know, imagine like when you look at your wallet and you see dollar bills, like you, you feel as if like now you've got to be responsible for them and spend them in wise ways. And time becomes currency when it's something that we can measure and, and it's interesting. I mean, we've always we've measured time far a lot longer than we've had the clock. Um, you know, I read this one really great book about just all different kinds of ways that people measure time. You know, the the sundial and the hourglass and um, water clocks. I mean, a water clock I think existed. You know, back when Augustine was writing, and Augustine in the fourth century is having and fifth century is having all of his own anxieties about time. You know, so I think t and time anxiety predates the clock um for sure but i think the now that we have the clock and now that we have ways to measure output of work you know it sort of drives us to feel really anxious about that um to feel that you know and it leaves us honestly thinking that we should move like machines and i think that's where it gets really problematic because the human body isn't isn't a machine, you know, I mean, it's why you can't just, you know, tune up the machine and keep it running 24 seven. Like you gotta, you do need to sleep right. and you do need to take Sabbath. Um, so I'm really, I mean, I think this whole book was a re like an unlearning and a relearning to think about time in ways that are far bigger and I think more beautiful and um, actually a lot more hopeful mm -hmm. than time as instrument, time as currency, time mm -hmm. as money. Because I think ultimately as a Christian, what we really believe is that there is enough time. Mm -hmm. There's not enough time in this life. There's not, you know, we know that our days pass, pass like a breath, like a shadow. Um, and yet somehow in God's kingdom, there's, there's enough because he is outside of time. You know, he's the beginning and the end and, and the beginning again, really in Christ. You know, I want to come back that that's huge. Um, <clears throat> but one kind of question about time and anxiety before we kind of go into what's uniquely Christian about time. So, you know, we're talking about time anxiety and I just wonder for you personally, but also as you've observed, you know, today in the state of New York, I don't want to get super controversial. It was the first day that schools didn't allow masks. And it's just kind of this crazy reminder that <clears throat> we had a view of time and anxiety in the pandemic. What do you think is going to happen or what are you sensing now that we might be seeing, quote unquote, light at the end of the tunnel? And I realize I say that anything can change. We've been through a lot. But what do you see in the pandemic, how our views on time and anxiety changed versus now that we might have light at the end of the tunnel? How did that for you personally? And what are some bigger themes that you're picking up? I would say this whole book really is the arc of it is the pandemic, you know, because early in the pandemic, for me, I felt all the anxiety of not just the crisis, not just, you know, the questions of like, will we get sick? You know, mm. will what will change about our lives, you know, in those really early months, not just that, but just the disruption of time, like all of a sudden, 
I'm not leaving my house. I don't have all of these regular ways to pattern a day and a week. And honestly, even a month, you know, you're not celebrating the occasions that you would normally celebrate. You're not going to church. You know, these things, these ways that I had normally relied on to pattern my time, they were all gone. And so I felt a lot of anxiety about that. And I wasn't exactly sure why, you know, I mean, I actually was surprised because I thought I should feel relief. All of a sudden, I'm not as busy as I once was, you know, because my kids are older. I know a lot of people were far busier than they were before, (laughs) but my kids were older. I wasn't having to like, I had more time. I wasn't traveling. A lot of work responsibilities had canceled for me. So I expected to feel relief and I didn't. And so I was like, okay, what's going on? And that's when I took all those time management books off my shelf and thought, well, I guess I better just get more productive, which was like early advice in the pandemic. Do you guys remember that? You know, people were saying like, now's the time to reorganize your garage and, you know, get your memoir written and I don't know, whatever projects that you've been putting off and postponing, now's the time to do it. And I fell hook, line and sinker for all of that. And so I was like doing all of that. You know, I was organizing my pantry. I was organizing my garage. I was, you know, writing very, very long list of all these things that I was going to be able to do. And in addition to reading all the time management books of how I was going to get it all done. And it wasn't helping. It wasn't solving anything. In fact, I felt like way, way, way worse, you know. And I think that just started a learning curve for me. Um, I mean, eventually about, I would say about six months in, and I live in Toronto, so it's been, it's been a very restrictive environment here. I would say that we've really lived about two years of, of pretty, pretty serious restrictions. Um, I think that one thing that I did, um, for example, to sort of push back on that anxiety was to just take up some different spiritual practices. Um, and one of them was like the ancient practice of the Christian church, which is to pray the hours. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it was kind of like, okay, well, these times strategies aren't working. Maybe I should try another. Maybe I should just pray, you know, morning, noon, dinner, evening, um, as Christians have throughout the centuries. And truthfully, I even started doing that just because I thought it would make time anxiety go away. And then I realized this is not really even what it's about. Like I have a way bigger invitation here to think about time Um, with far more faith than I've ever thought about it before. And to actually start to get really serious about my limitations, which is kind of along the lines of Ashley's book. So I feel like the pandemic forced upon all of us, maybe a sense of not just the limitations of our time, but the limitations of our will too, you know, because the most popular article in 2021 of the New York Times was the, the, the article on languishing. Like we all felt it. We all sort of felt like, gosh, after so many months, like we just lacked the will and the resolve even to get, even to look at those lists, much less kind of make our way through them. And so I would say for me, like what, what hope do I have on the other side? I, I'm kind of a realist and I think a lot of us, we're going to just go back to our old patterns because I think there's a certain consolation that we all seek in busyness. Mm -hmm. I think it, it makes us think that we matter 
to be busy, to be on the go, to get a lot of things done. I mean, we don't just do this because like there's something very morally involved in it, you mm. know, of spending our time in productive ways. It reassures us that we kind of earn our real estate in the world. And I think that, you know, we'll have to all sort of engage some different practices if we don't want to fall prey to that. So before we go into the practices, sorry, no, Aaron, I got, I got all excited, You're, you know, no, so, go for it. Um, you know, so you hinted at this before and I want to come back to it cause I think it's, it's so powerful. You know, you talked about, you know, just how God sees time almost unlimited. So what's unique about how Jesus treats time versus maybe, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not asking you to answer for like Buddha or Hinduism or something like that, but, but just, you know, how does Jesus treat time? That's so unique to even our culture right now that, cause you know, I think about what you're saying and Jesus is, you know, Jesus has infinite time and no, but like Jesus got a lot of stuff done. And so I, I guess, how do you, how are you engaging Jesus and how does he treat time? You know, just from, you know, the work that you're doing? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the biggest, I think the most fundamental difference between the way Jesus uses, views time and the way that our culture views time is just how long it actually is. You know, I just read a time management book. Um, Oliver Berkman has written, he's um, from the UK and has written a lot in The Guardian, and he's written a lot about time management. And so he wrote a book called Time Oh gosh, 4,000 weeks, time management for mortals. And it's this book that's trying to get very realistic about time and its limitations. And I think, you know, there is a sense that Jesus as God incarnate faced like the limitations of a mortal human life. There were things that he did not do. You know, there were people that he did not heal. There were world crises that he did not solve in his mortal human life because his life like even was even shorter than mine was even a shorter breath and shadow um than mine um having died at 33 and i'm 48 um almost 48 so but the most fundamental difference is that jesus saw that there was time beyond this life that there is actually like if to unfurl the ribbon of God's time is to see that it is without end, that it stretches on infinitely. Um, and gosh, you can have a lot of hope and a lot of peace when you know that God's time is longer than yours. Um, that, you know, I think even, for example, about the things that we might want in our own lifetimes to see happen. Maybe we want them for our children. You know, maybe we want them for the world um, or just for our neighborhoods or for our cities. And we don't see them happening in our lifetime. Well, the hope is, is that God's time is longer than ours, that God will make time um, to do things that we would never have time to do. And so I see in Jesus, as I read the Gospels, like a complete lack of hurry, you know, no sense of worry that the time is going to run out, mm. you know, that, that, you know, somehow he's going to, that he has to fret in order to make sure that he gets through that list. That's so important, you know, 
How does he say, for example, on the cross that it is finished? The work that God has given to do, it's finished. It's complete. I mean, that can't mean every single person healed and saved from their sin. But the, the assignment given to him by the Father, that, that was done. And I think that that is what's open to us as Christians, is a settling into that confidence that, you know, my life is a mere hand's breath, <laughs> I think is how it, the psalmist says it. And yet that's going to be long enough for whatever God asked me to do with this life, mm -hmm. with these hours, with this body. Um, and it, it'll be a speck. And then, but God's doing so much more than just me. And so it's, it's paradoxical really, because on the one hand, it's, it's a, it's a great humility. Like I, my life is, my life is so small. Um, and yet it's like a great confidence. And I think courage too, that whatever God gives me to do with each breath, each hour, each day, each year, um, I'll do it, um, in obedience and by his grace and knowing that somehow it contributes to this larger project of the kingdom coming mm. and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's so that's, there's a lot of powerful stuff in there. Thank you. That's that, I like that. Um, it, I think it kind of reminds me of sometimes of some of the conversations we have about even, you know, money or other resources like that. You know, when we, we, if we view them as uh, having a scarcity and mm -hmm. and that um, it's all about it's all on us to you know control that somehow and to um, somehow we have to it, it, I guess everything's on our shoulders basically mm -hmm. and kind of time is in some ways I think time you reference it as like we can view it as a currency which I think is true you know there's the whole time is money conversation but even the you know we. Uh, what I think what you were just hitting on, I think was really powerful is that if time is something we feel like it's all on our shoulders to do to like change the world or do whatever or change our lives, it's all on us that we might act the clock might run out on us or something. It's different than if you view it as God gave me mm -hmm. time. Um, you know, there's kind of a there's a liberation in that. Um, and yet, at the same time, there's all there. Maybe this is I, this is what I wanted to get at is there can also be a there's a lot of responsibility there too. Um, I think there's a freedom in going from time is something I need to. It's all on me to figure out what to do with time versus uh, how do I steward the time I've been given, knowing that mm. the provider, you know, if God wants to take me right now, He will. If he wants to give me another hundred years somehow, like if, with medical advances, I don't know, he will, you know. Um, but uh, so I, I guess the question I wanted to get to now is, you know, if we view view time more as something that we're stewarding, from all your from all your conversation, all your um, writing, your research, like what sort of time management principles are good to, that we should hang on to with without getting anxious about them, not letting anxiety get them come in, but do you have a recommendation on things that we should be um, gearing ourselves to as far as time management goes? How, can, how, do we, how do we take the good without throwing the, you know, the baby out with the bathwater? Mm. Mm -hmm. 
It's funny because um, I think it was 1973, like there was this very popular uh, time management book, and I don't remember the name of it. I think the name of the author was Alan Lakin. Um, and so he basically says, you know, you've got three alternatives in life. You're going to drift, you're going to drown, or you're going to decide. Hmm. And like in that though that kind of trinity of, of of verbs there i think there's something for us there you know i mean on the one hand i want to say we don't always actually get to decide i mean obviously time management is this whole industry and genre of literature to kind of help people decide help people make better decisions with um their hours with their days like help them align their intentions their life goals and purposes with what they're actually doing and there's something really good about that i actually think there's something really good about that i think there's just that that what we need to say is that we just don't always get to decide mm -hmm. you know i mean anybody who's faced the last two years understands that we don't get to decide. We don't get to decide when there's a global pandemic. We don't get to decide when there's war. We don't get to decide when there's illness um, or when there's a life crisis of another of another sort that just kind of doesn't allow us to like craft this perfect life, you know, and get through our to-do list every day. But I do think there's something to say, like, you know, we don't want to drift through life either. Mm. I think that, 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 I mean, St. Ignatius, you know, the, and I mean, just honestly, people throughout Christian history have been saying, let's try to decide wisely. Let's not just drift through life. Let's articulate what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What are the values of the kingdom? How do you plan and prioritize your life in, in line with that? And I think that the intentionality of time management is what I've always really loved about it. I think I came from a family where we weren't very intentional. And I think that I sort of watched that and I didn't like that. You know, I wanted mm -hmm. to live my life with a lot more intention. I wanted to be able to say, if something matters to me, like I will actually like put it in my calendar. I'm going to, as far as it depends on me, try to live into a value, not just like say it with my lips. You know, when Jesus says, you know, these are people who honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know, we could then probably by extension say, if we shouldn't just honor God with our lips. And if we're honoring with him, with our hearts, like that's going to matter for our pocketbooks. It's going to matter for our calendars too. And so I don't think the answer is to just say, well, time doesn't matter. And, oh, whew, you know, we're off the hook. We're just receiving the hours from God. The cool thing that I didn't expect to happen in this book is how much interest I developed in wisdom literature, um, just the ancient wisdom literature of the Bible, which is this whole genre that isn't really just the thus saith the Lord of the prophets, you know, or the commands of the law. It's really like, here are some principles for for why living well, the art of living well, as one scholar puts wisdom. And so how do you like apply that to your life? And I think that's the task for every human being. And I think it's a task for every Christ follower. And 100% it involves how you spend your time. Can I jump in real quick here, Peter? Aaron, okay. you're on a roll, no, man. Uh, no, I, I, fire. <laughs> no, it's such a great, it's a great topic and a great conversation. I'm really enjoying this. Um, so I, uh, 
before we we got on this podcast, I was looking up some of your things you've done in the past, and I saw an article from Christianity Today about five years ago um, on bailing. Um, don't thou shalt not bail or something like that, um, which I thought was really fascinating. And I don't want to take us too far off topic here, but I think there's a connection. I'm really I'm curious. You know, do you think that if I think there is a bailing problem in our you know people bailing out on each other, make schedules, and then and then not you know. I I think you referenced in that article there was a time when we didn't have f- uh, cell phones and you know you couldn't easily just text somebody like if you you know, left a message on someone's answer machine with a payphone, you're guessing that, you're hoping that person's coming to see you at this X time or whatever, I don't know. But, um, you know, otherwise you're going to be sitting at that payphone for a while. But, um, but uh, yeah, I guess, like, do you think that that, that um, issue in our culture, is that related to a uh, people drifting? Um, is it related to people who are drowning in time? Or do you think there's a, there's a deciding problem there and there on how we're spending our time? I'm curious. That's how I was going to connect it back to her. Yes. <laughs> yes to all three. I think that's a really good question. I mean, let's talk about the drowning issue. I mean, we are drowning in this like environment of just complete excess, like excess of like attention drain, I would say. And so I think um, time is very closely related to questions of attention. And so when you're talking about people who just lose their way, me included, it's so often because we're just inundated with information. You know, we've got a thousand things kind of pinging us at the same time and it's really hard to it's just hard to focus and so I think that's that's very much in line with this conversation like drowning is a real problem Mm. and um I think the technological environment is also always kind of seducing us to believe that more options are better than fewer ones um and really more options just often lead to overwhelm. And so I think sometimes people bail because honestly, they've just overcommitted and they don't even really have a sense of it until they like get into the moment and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm legitimately overwhelmed. And so there is this, this notion of saying, you know, time is a very fixed resource and how are we going to spend it? I think that there's honestly this like spiritual practice of calendaring as my spiritual director calls it. She calls it like the spiritual practice of calendaring, like literally sitting down with your calendar should be considered a spiritual practice. Like whether it's, you know, the Sunday before the week ahead, or it's, you know, the first of the month for the month ahead, or whether it's, you know, for, at for a year's time, you know, I mean, all these units of time really matter. And when we say, we kind of put those hard questions to ourselves of like, are, do, am I doing what really matters? You know, are the things that God's called me to do, or do these commitments, for example, reflect things that I feel I should be doing because other people think I should be doing them or do they reflect, um, or do they reflect a sense of laziness? You know, like Mm -hmm. I can't really be involved with X because I'm, I don't know. I just can't muster up the will you know, to do something hard. Um, so, so the deciding like is a practice, you know, it is a practice that you actually do with your calendar. Um, and we just have to sort of recognize that the environment that we're in, the conditions that people are in right now have to be addressed, not just 
the will and the decisions, if that makes sense. You know, so for, you know, so to go back to the bailing issue, we could just tell people, stop bailing, <laughs> which I sort of do, I guess, in that article. Stop bailing. But I think it can be more helpful to say, why does this happen? Right. Does it happen because you get into, you get yourself overwhelmed? Well, how does that happen? And then sort of like taking it back multiple steps so that people can start to understand the real, I would actually say cost it takes, um, the cost of calendaring, because that's what really happens. Um, we have to say no to things and we don't like that. We don't like to disappoint people. And we don't like to miss out. And we're afraid sometimes that, you know, we might miss out on that really great opportunity. Um, so it's always hard to say no. So, you know, based on what you just said there, I want to come back to another thing that you said. You said that during the pandemic, you developed uh, the spiritual practice of the prayer of hours. You've talked about, um, you even said that there's a spiritual discipline of calendaring from your spiritual director. So I like that, by the way. I thought that was really cool. I, I, I like that too. My, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think uh, we're going to do that. So you've also written a book called A Habit Called Faith. And I guess I want to join these things all together because, um, you know, I think that we have this idea that if we read our Bible for three months, that we're going to hit Eureka. And it just seems like even from what you're talking about, um, making the right choices, not just willing us to do it, putting it on the calendar, but but that we we need to have a realistic approach to our time and also those spiritual habits that are gonna change us, but we might not feel like, you know, we're a Jen Pollock Michelle after reading the Bible for three months, like, you know, quoting things like that, like, especially if we've never done it. So I guess how do you help people, you know, who like want to put these habits in their life they want to change but like again it's the time thing how do you help people kind of say hey there's a bigger picture to this it's worth staying in but also holding that tension of not there's some of us here like we've been i've been reading my bible every day since fourth grade now i don't i say that for for the unhealthy reason of i was scared that jesus wasn't going to love me because i grew up in a christian so there's another side to that but, but I, I guess how to, in relation to time, in relation to habits, what's the best way to have that relationship, but also with eternity, dare I say, just the long view for people? Mm-hmm. The language of habit, I think, is really, really helpful um, to, to sort of marry that with faith. You know, I think people don't put faith in the category of habit, you know, Faith, they kind of think is maybe that mountaintop experience. It's, you know, sort of what explodes when you get the epiphany and you see Jesus, you know, miraculously transformed and you're there with Peter, James and John, you know. Um, and so I think one thing that we always have to do is sort of like reset our expectations. Faith is a little bit more like exercise, you know. I mean, sometimes you wake up and what you can't wait to do is, you know, get to the gym or take your walk or whatever it is, you know. I mean, not, we don't all have to be CrossFitters. You know, you could just commit to moving every day and that's really beneficial for your health. Um, and sometimes you want to do that 
like, for example, let's just say that you're a walker and you like to walk your dog. I have a dog. Um, and that's kind of your goal is just to get yourself moving every day. Well, some days, you know, the sun is shining and you cannot wait. And it's the first spring day and the crocuses are peeking up out of the ground. And like this, I mean, it's not hard. You lace up your shoes and you just can't wait. And then other days, like it's raining or it's snowing or you just, you know, you went to bed late and you don't feel like doing it. And it's the value that kind of drives the decision, not the mood. And I think that we really have to sort of say that the mood is just not always going to suit in our spiritual lives. We're not going to always feel like we want to read our Bible and we're not always going to feel like we want to pray. We're not going to feel like we want to show up to church. And really we're not. And sometimes we're going to get really discouraged when the, we we're doing those things and they're not producing the benefit that we think that they should. Um, but you know, I, for example, let's see, we'll go back to exercise. I remember I actually started to get really regular exercise when I read this article right around the time I turned 40 and they said, you know, you really see the benefits of exercise of midlife exercise, like at the end of your life, you know, it's the benefits of exercising in your forties and your fifties. Like you're going to feel it now too. I mean, obviously there's benefits now, but like there are a lot of long-term benefits for that. And I think, I honestly think that faith is very much the same way. You know, I had been reading my Bible every day because I, be, I became a Christ follower when I was 16. And then my dad died when I was almost 18. And then my brother died when I was almost 23. Mm. And, you know, then I was married and my husband was diagnosed with type one diabetes when we were in our early thirties. And you know, they're just these life can toss you some curveballs and it can be a lot harder than you expect. And you, the thing is, is that when you have a habit established, it's there for you exactly when you need it. You know, all of that time that you've spent filling up on the truths of who God is like you're, you're going to be late to the game when life kind of turns a corner and heads somewhere unexpected. But if you've been doing that for five years, maybe you didn't need to know that God would be with you through the valley of the shadow of death. But having read that, you know, I read that every year in my Bible reading plan. And then the seventh year is the year that you miscarry. And it suddenly becomes so real to you. I mean, I think this is why faith, the habits of faith are so important because um, they prepare us, they, they equip us, they strengthen us to become the kind of people who can meet those moments and not just meet them because we're somehow like superheroes, but because we now have the habit of walking with Jesus, of hearing his voice, of knowing his presence, which is what all spiritual practices are meant to lead to. They're not just, they're not just the, they're not the ends. They're always a means to friendship with Jesus, which is where our hearts are really most satisfied. Jen, I, I have to ask, I mean, you just, you walked through some very personal, I think you said your, your dad died, your brother died, your husband got, um, uh, diabetes, got diagnosed with diabetes. Um, I'm not sure, but it sounds like you had a miscarriage. Is that, you know, you brought, so, so I, I guess, if I was a listener, you know, and I mean, why didn't you stop those habits? Cause you make it sound like these habits were 
helpful. So, I mean, did you feel like quitting? Did you feel like, hey, is this worth it? I mean, why why not stop? I guess I'd have to just go back to exercise. Like, I started exercising regularly about eight years ago, and, like, it's just now this kind of taproot in my life. You know, it, it I... It's just there. It's like a bedrock foundation. And I think the same is true for spiritual habits. Like I don't, I am now no longer at the point that I wake up and think, oh, you know, oh, I don't, I mean, there are days sure that I, I might not want to like sit down and read my Bible, but most of the days, like I am running to that chair. I am running to that chair. I'm running to lay before Jesus all of my longings, all of my sighings, that just happened to be a psalm that we talked about this last weekend. All of my longing is before you. My sign is not hidden from you. I mean, you don't have to force yourself to do things that actually you know to be of benefit to you. And see, so you can't know the benefit until you've like accumulated the habit, until the habit is like paid its dividends over the years. So, it's not to say that those times weren't hard and maybe I didn't sometimes show up going, why God, you know, why, what, what are you doing? And you know, so many of the Psalms sound just like that. Why have you forsaken me? Where have you gone off? Or do you hear my cries? You know, answer me Lord. So it's not like it didn't sound like that sometimes, but I guess I just developed the habit, not just of doing it, but believing that there was someone on the other end of the line. Mm. Like it was like I had enough history to know that God really was good. And then he was listening. Like it actually did become, it became a lifeline in those seasons. And I, I can remember mentoring college students years ago, a couple of college girls lived with us for a little while, just for a summer. And I remember telling them like, now's the time, now's the time that you're young to develop these habits because you just don't know the lifeline that they will be for you in the future when, when you meet those moments. And also when you just sustain just the everydayness of life too, you need them for that just as much. Hmm. Yeah. No, that's good. I have so I have a follow up question on on that. That was really there's a lot of good stuff there. Um, but I I wanted to get this in real quick because uh, I don't want to miss it. Um, can you what was the what was that super small second that you mentioned earlier on in the podcast that we can measure time by? It wasn't like a nanosecond. It was like even smaller than that. Oh, zeptosecond. A dectosecond. Zeptosecond. Zepto like with Z. Oh, zepto. Okay. Zepto. Yeah. I think I it's might... the time. Go ahead. No, please. I want to know about it because <laughs> I want to. I want to start um, measuring my oh meetings in seconds. Oh, okay. It, it, it's something literally like some physicist right now is just going to cringe when I try to explain this. But from <laughs> what I remember, it was like the time it takes like an electron to travel through an atom, or it was something like that, like a, one of the parts of the atom to travel across it. Like that's how short this time of wow. this unit of time really is. So 
Yeah. I, I, I feel but like again, I could have the details on that wrong, but it's something generally like that. We, we won't hold you to it, but you know, I'll, if any <laughs> okay, physicists call in, I'll, I'll, I'll send them to Peter so he can talk to them. I just wanted to start, start and scheduling my meetings and make them only last a few of those. But, in zepto um, seconds. Right. <laughs> But okay, so seriously though, following up on your other what you were talking about before, um, it, maybe it's related to these seconds also. Um, but uh, I, I was thinking while you were talking about that, if someone is so, let's I, I'm going back to your you you had brought up the idea of drifting, deciding, um, drowning. So if someone is in, I was just curious, like what would you when you you've been exploring what are good ways of time management? How do we how do we manage time in a in a in a god honoring christ honoring way um uh is there something practical you would suggest to someone who feels like they're on the drowning end of that spectrum and also on the other side someone who you know if they take a hard look at themselves feel like maybe i've been drifting for a little while like what's one thing they could do on each of those people to kind of get their habit the good habit going First thing I would say is take a social media fast. <laughs> and I would say probably get really honest, um, even maybe get some serious parameters around how you use your phone. Mm. Um, you know, you could do TechWise Family, for example, like they, they do like an hour, the phone is off an hour a day, a day a week, a week a year. Um, I think we're doing the common rule right now with our small group, which is wonderful too. And he talks about using, going to scripture before you ever even pick up your phone. One of the things that I would, this is another habit that developed for me during the pandemic, kind of unintentionally. I honestly don't even know how it happened, but I started to just turn my alarm off on my phone and then I would just leave it beside my bed and then I would go downstairs and I wouldn't even look at it. I would, for like an hour and a half, you know, and just like, you know, meet with Jesus, exercise, make my coffee and I cannot tell you what that habit has done for me because all of a sudden it's like I'm sort of in, it's it's an attention practice as much as it is a time practice I, mean, I think what people when they're in this kind of mode of like I'm drowning I'm drifting well you're drowning because everybody's competing for your attention mm. you know so and you're 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 drifting because everybody's competing for your attention so you have got to like you've got to kind of close yourself off a little bit and then you've got a channel you got to like turn the dial to start listening to what God says. Um, it, it, you have to be ruthless about that. I really do believe. I mean, there's a reason why Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Um, like don't, don't dilly dally about these things. Um, and I think technology is just a huge part of this. Um, I notice, for example, like a lot of my anxiety sometimes is related to technology because like I'm always sort of in this mode of thinking I should be doing things faster because like my phone can always do things faster. And <laughs> as soon as I like set it aside, like I kind of like reenter the real world of like my body. Well, you know, it, it has its pace and the day has its pace. And and honestly, even to be more, more open to the interruptions of my of my real world, you know, not just the interruptions of my phone. Like once you add the interruptions of your phone to the interruptions of like real life you're 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 drowning um mm. and so i think being ruthless about about your technology is is a really good first step that's great you know before we get to our last question you know i i read a study by barna that the the question from generation z about 
Christianity is, isn't, is it true? It's, does it work? And so I, I think what I'm hearing from you in this focus on time management and time anxiety, what you're saying is Christianity works in ways that you just can't see or understand until you've experienced it. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. I'm absolutely saying that. I'm saying there's a reason why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his life? I'm mm-hmm. saying that our time anxiety is super old and it's much deeper and it's never going to be answered by a time hack. You know, even if you do get a get a kind of, I don't know, get better habits around your calendar, for example, like there are still these like really, really deep time anxieties, all of us, you know, um, and Christianity actually orients us to a wisdom that helps us to number our days. Well, that's how Moses prays in Psalm 90. You know, he says, you're from everlasting to everlasting. Like you're, you were here before the mountains were even formed. Teach me to number my days, you know, so that I can gain a heart of wisdom. I think that's what human beings really want. I think they want to be living in congruence with what really matters. Um, Nobody wants to be wasting their time and certainly nobody wants to be wasting their life. Mm. And Christianity is actually telling you that not only could you not waste your life, but even though your life is short, there's so much more time ahead. I can just tell you this quick story. I was working on this book and my contractor, um, you know, who's done some work on my house, who's doing some work on my neighbor's house. And um, I saw him one morning and I could tell that he was upset and he crossed the street and I said, you know, what's wrong? And he said, I have cancer. I have three spots, you know, on my liver and my lungs. Like, I don't think I have very much time. And so I was dropping my, I was literally getting in the car to take my kids to school. And I said, okay, are you going to be here in like 15 minutes? Just wait. Let's, and I want you to, I'm going to make you a cup of coffee and, um, we're going to sit in the backyard. And so I came back, we did. And I, that's exactly what I said to him. He, he said, you know, I just, I can't believe this. I just want more time. I want more time with my kids. I want more time with my grandkids. And I said, you know what? Time always runs out on us in this life, but there's more like there, there is more in eternity. There's a life beyond this life. And it was just this amazing opportunity, like around this question of like, I just want more time, you know, to be talking about the hope of the gospel. So I absolutely think that Christianity is not just true, but that it's so deeply resonant with our most, with our most human longings and desires. Wow. So that's a, that's a great place to close with our last question, which is what does Jesus have to say about this topic? So Jen, uh, so Jen, what we do is Aaron and I answer, and then you get to like clean up any heresy or anything we get wrong. Okay. Does that sound good? So <laughs> Perfect. Aaron, Aaron, why don't you get us started? What does Jesus have to say about this topic? Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you for this. This is a great conversation. Um, and uh, I do think it's, it's an important conversation um, for for everybody, uh, and particularly for for um, followers of Christ, I think Jesus does care about our time a lot. Um, you quoted some great scriptures on in uh, earlier, and 
you know, I think there's a there's something powerful to the idea of um, that we do have um, uh, we do have limited time, um, but we don't have to be a slave to the time. Um, we don't have to be worried about the time. We don't have to be anxious about the time. That's really, at least, I mean, for me, that's hard. Um, but but we don't have to be uh, worried about it because we we know someone who <laughs> who is bigger than that time. Um, and like you said, there's there's so much more. I do also think that uh, you know I think Jesus really cares about how we spend our time. Um, and and um, you had mentioned technology earlier. I think there's there are, there are lots of uh, distractions in our lives, whether it's technology or whatever. It could be other things too. But that are not. If we were to really stop and really maybe spiritually have the practice of calendaring, we might actually think like, well, maybe that's not what I need to be spending my, the limited time or not stewarding the time. Maybe that's not what I need to be doing. So I think there's a lot there to think about and dig into. And um, short answer is I do think God cares about it because he gives us the time. It's, a, it's something he gives us a steward. No, I love that. Um, you know, the whole time you were talking, Jen, I was thinking about my friend Sherwin, our mutual friend Sherwin. He loves to say, he tells us, we plant trees whose shade we'll never experience. And when when I think about this question of time, you know, a lot of productivity, and I'll just confess for my productivity, the reason why I, I relate more with Jen, but I need to listen to someone like Ashley, is like, it's selfish. It's, I want to check the box. I want to get it all done. And that's very, very self-centered. And I think what you're saying is, is that the gospel is this beautiful message of good news that your days do matter, not just in the immediate, but in the eternal. And so that causes us even to look at our time. You know, I, I have a four-year-old and I have a one-year-old and they are, uh, I am gratefully that they are inefficient. Um, just any little task, but you know, I think that that's a little reminder that we're not just called for this life, but for other lives and, and for the impact that we have. And, you know, <clears throat> my daughter, the other day, she looks at me and she goes, let's read a Bible story because of this. And like, you have to honor that, like that's inefficient to what I wanted to do, but that was a little interruption of God kind of working in. And I think even what you're saying is when you have a better view of time, none of us want to leave this world without influencing, loving others. Like, you know, we believe love God and love others, but what we're doing is, is that we're investing in eternity in ways that we can't see. So that's kind of what I'm leaving with. I'm glad you talked about the tree because that's <laughs> kind of the central image to the whole book is Psalm one, you know, what's the figure for the flourishing life? And it is the tree. And you think about how long it takes for trees to grow. And I had never even actually thought about, gosh, you know, the shade, the canopy, like we, we wouldn't even, we, we don't have enough time to see that grow in our own lives. And mm. so it's this whole conversation even begs thinking about generations, not just eternity, you know, like it's not just your life or eternity, but maybe generations that you impact. And there's a lot of patience though. That's, that's involved in, in waiting in your own life to take deep root. Um, as you are the kind of person who meditates on God's law day and night, which is the spiritual practice that's mentioned in Psalm one. Um, 
Um, and it takes patience to watch that for other people and to trust that that got, you know, you think about trees too. You don't notice that they grow until about 20 years, you know, when you mm. visit a neighborhood and you haven't seen, you haven't been there for 20 years and all of a sudden that's what you notice, right? The trees are so big. Um, and I think, I think that's very much what the spiritual life is like. Man, that's great. Well, um, you know, we'll tell you where Jen, you can find her, but I'm just going to hold up the two books that I have. I read Teach Us to Want, so you're going to want to get a, a copy of that. I'm going to be going through a habit called Faith. Uh, Jen, you said your book comes out in December, and what's the title of it again? Remind us. Yeah. Um, in Good Time, Reimagining Productivity, Resisting Hurry, and Practicing Peace. Awesome. And if uh, if our friends and listeners want to find you, where's the best place to find you? Probably the best place. I'm most regularly writing Monday letters to anybody who signs up to receive them. So you can find that at my website, jenpollockmichelle.com. I am an irregular social media poster. <laughs> so, you know, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter, but you will see very quickly that I'm, I'm very fitfully involved there. So probably sign up for my Monday letters and if you're interested. Well, thank you so much, Jen. As always, the best place to get a hold of us is to go to whygotwhypodcast.com. Subscribe there and you'll get the email every week with this episode and every other. So Jen, thanks for joining us. We hope you all have a great day. 